Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Welcome to Season 7, where we will continue to delve into the world of coaching, learning and development. My guests this week are going to present their key learnings from their experiences of setting up two rugby clubs in rural Norway. I'm going to hand over to them to introduce themselves and then we'll get into the story. So, guys, please fire away. <laughs> in our case, I'll go first. So, uh, hi, I'm, I'm Mike. I'm a chiropractor by day um, and I'm from Bournemouth. Uh, started rugby at like under eight at Wimborne Rugby Club. Um, moved to Norway about two years ago and uh, then met up with these lot. Yeah, great to be here. I'm Isak. I'm a Norwegian who started playing rugby last year. And normally I run a minibus company with my father, but I'm also volunteering as uh, the leader of the local sports club here. And I run also the rugby group in Eldar Igel. And I, I'm Matthew Shaw. Uh, I'm, I don't know what's that. I'm from, I think you'll know this, Phil. I'm from Scunthorpe. I think you might have come across that rugby club. Um, I only played first team a couple of times because I was garbage. Um, and then I've been in Norway since 2018. So I'm nearly four years here. Um, in terms of my day job, I'm a, I'm a sports science lecturer, I guess, is the easiest way to explain it at, at what's called in English the Western University of Applied Sciences. So a nice short and sweet title uh, in Norwegian, Högskola på Vestlander. And Vestlander, Westland, is the region that I guess we're talking about today. And just quickly, Phil, I think, have you been to Worcester Uni? Yeah, I have. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So before I moved here, I was teaching at the University of Worcester. So I'm going to guess you probably know legends like Don Vinson and Andy Kale. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So both just taking so classes. Okay, so I used to share an office with Shelley Morgan and Craig. Oh, bloody hell, I've forgotten Craig's last name. Two absolute legends at Worcester, which I'm sure you, you know. Oh, that's a small about, world, isn't yeah. it? That's really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because um, I had a quick look. Have you had something to do with Nuneaton? Yeah, so I coached Nuneaton for four years. So that's when we'd have played yeah, Scunthorpe as well. Yeah, you definitely know Scunthorpe then. Yeah. I only I only played for Scunthorpe when they when we I've, I played twice for the first team against Malvern and uh is it Old Northants, a team in Northampton? Yeah, old Northampton. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So go. that's 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 the height of my experience, National Free <laughs> Midlands. Love it. It's a good league. It's decent. It is decent. Some good guys in there. Um, I guess it's changed now, right? Is it Midlands something? Midlands Premier? Yeah, so they've just shifted. So, yeah, there's now the old national tour has now gone to like three leagues and then it's six leagues under that. So, like six regions, I think. So, I'm still trying to get my head around it, to be honest. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's a reasonably <laughs> sensible change, just trying to kind of localise rugby, stop some of the massive travel that people having to do and I guess kind of yeah aligned to similar principles that we're going to talk about from from what you guys have been doing in the thread really. So um, yeah, let's let's get into that. So um, Matt, it started with your kind of thread, which I think was wonderfully well received across across the board, and just really interested in 
how you guys got to where you got to and then just yeah tell us tell us a little bit about the story and then I guess we can kind of delve into maybe some of the principles that you guys have followed and and how you've really kind of gathered momentum and, and got to where you've got I, I guess the first thing to say is like thanks for picking up on Twitter uh, I'm not sure why I just said that in an American accent but thanks for picking that up because the reason I did it is just I think we're doing something pretty interesting pretty special I think ESAC's doing the best job of the three of us in terms of how special it is so and thank you for giving us the time to talk about it because I think it is an interesting story and like I guess what we really want to do is get the message out there and ideally get some people over here if they want it's an untapped it's an untapped market really I don't mean untapped market as in hey come and run loads of camps and make loads of money but as in, come over here and sample a bit of Norway and play play rugby and and um, import a bit of rugby culture because there's there's fertile ground for it over here, uh, as demonstrated by by what we're doing. But to kind of go back to the the beginning, so I, like I said, I moved over here in 2018, and I obviously involved with higher education students, and we have the equivalent of like a students' union student spot over here is a bit different because of things like travel so we don't really have leagues and stuff but there was i thought oh maybe there's a there's an opportunity for a bit of rugby here and we tried it and we got some people going very frustratingly they had like a facebook page where it's like rugby slash american football as if it's the same thing so that gets that gives you some kind of context of like some people's understanding over here but um started training had a couple of sessions, about 10 people turned up. And then it just wasn't feasible, really. It's quite expensive to rent the indoor hall space. Like, there's lots of basically full-size football pitches indoor in Norway, obviously, because of the weather. And it was just quite expensive to rent it. We just said, oh, we can't really continue running it as a session because it's too costly. That was the end of that in 2019. And then I think it's 2020. Just get this text message. I'm always telling this story now. I just get this random, <laughs> random text message. Hello, my name's Mike Pride. I'm a chase with the egg. I hear you'd like to chase an egg as well or something. I was like, who is this guy? And uh, turns out one of my students was one of his patients mentioned it. So thanks to him. Um, and I was like, yeah, all right, cool. I'll go with this. Turns out he's in a village down the road. And then we just had a back and forth on Facebook and uh, on on SMS. And then I was like, oh, let's get this going again. Let's see if there's a market outside of the students. I think it's a bit naive of me just got a student spot as if like no one else would be interested. And I was like, right, let's see who's out there then. So then I started a Facebook group like Rugby in Sogan, which is like the, the regional area. And just people started joining it. And I was just trying to get the feelers out. I wanted something informal where we just go play touch wherever, wherever, wherever most people could gather, we'd go play a bit of touch. But before I know it, find out Mike's quite heavily involved in the national team already. Um, and got loads of contacts. And we get a formal session going in like November 20, 2021. This guy turns up in all his Norway rugby stash, bag of balls and the works. I was like, oh, I'm ready to go here. And then like two months later, we register as a as a rugby club. Um, 
I mean, Isak can probably give a better overview of it. But sports clubs are a bit different over here. They're called what's, what's called an Idretslager. Right. So like a sports club. You know, like Benfica in Portugal and Barcelona have like handball teams and volleyball teams. Like grassroots clubs are often multi-sports under one umbrella. Um, so we registered with our local one. That's in a town called Sogendal. Um, and then our first formal competition was in the national snow rugby championships which is in march of this year and we come fourth we got to third place playoff with a bunch of blokes over 40 and 30 a load of dads but i guess i think what's probably even more remarkable is we fielded a men's team and a women's team in that tournament and there weren't many other clubs to do that i think we wanted two clubs to actually have a full squad a squad of 12 for it um so I guess that's there were only two clubs with a full no three clubs with a full squad of twelve and that was us Eldar so yeah me and Matthew Isak and then a rugby league club from uh, further down on the western coast everyone yeah. else came up with like seven or six players. That's fantastic. So I guess from the snow rugby that's where that's how Isak got involved really. Do you want to just talk us through that first session, Blake? So give give listeners some appreciation of what, what's November like? Because I can't imagine it's, you know, particularly warm. Well, it's indoor. So the Norgas... Yeah, it was indoor session. Oh, okay, that wasn't Yeah, it. so yeah. like... Okay, got you. Yeah, sorry. So Norgas Rugby for Bunda, which is like Norwegian Rugby Federation, Federation. obviously Norwegian equivalent of RFU. They give you give you a little bit of money to get you going, so we got some money to rent some space. And uh, <laughs> first session we had where Mike turned up. Mike's driven, bear in mind, like an hour taking a ferry to get here. Like four people turn up. Oh shit! And uh, this guy comes, this Kiwi fella. Bear in mind, this guy is hilarious. He's from New Zealand, never played rugby before. I'm still convinced he's lying. And. Uh, he just says, can my, can my boys come and join us? Yeah, why not? Might as well. There's four of us. So we had like two hours of 3v3 touch. And uh, we was like, well, that just cost us 300 quid. We'll have to see what happens next week. And then I, I don't know how this happened, but a local journalist contacted Mike. And like the next session, we hear about, oh, by the way, like regional news TV is going to film the next session. <laughs> we're just like, oh, Christ, we're going to film like six of us just fanning about with a couple of flat size freeze or something. And um, I don't know how this happened. I guess Mike's got better input than me. But before we knew it, it was about 25 people turned up for the next session, including Isak. So that was our kind of main first session. We just played two hours of torch. We literally started with like, I'm sure you've used this warm up yourself, Phil, like tag with the ball where you can, you get a small area. People can only tag you when they've got the ball in their hands. They can't move with the ball. Start with that. Progress to rugby netball. Again, I'm sure you and a lot of listeners are familiar with that. And then before you know it, all of a sudden say, right, say throwing forward, you can only pass backwards. See how that goes. Right, now you can move with the ball, but if you get touched, you, you turn it around. And honestly, we started from like playing tag with a bunch of people who didn't even know what a rugby ball looked like. We're like 5v5 touch with defensive and attackive lines running. It was amazing. And that was within two hours. And I guess that's been our, our ethos throughout, really. Just play games. Games, games, games. 
don't care about the rules. Make your own rules up. But don't worry about it. There are some people, I may be generalizing a bit over here. People like the rules over here. They like to know what's going on. Um, so sometimes it can be a bit of conflict. I've had a bit of conflict with some people where, like, can you tell me all the rules of rugby union? No. Otherwise, I work out a session. And then they get frustrated. And no one knows that. Know Let's be like really yeah, honest. Yeah, exactly. No one knows every single yeah. law. So, yeah, let's just forget that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, oh, they'll ask, like, if I do this, what happens then? If I do that, what will happen after this? I'm like, don't worry about it. Try it and then see what happens. But I can, it's hard to, it's hard to know what's right because. I've had this a few times. Like, well, where exactly is the offside line? And I'm like, well, I'm playing it here as a referee. Well, but that's not how it is in a game. We're like, well, no, but it is for training now. And if we carry an argument, we've got another 20 people stood still freezing. And so for me, the best time to manage it is just after, just have a dialogue after. Or we have a Facebook group and we post like YouTube clips and stuff. Or someone asked me this, here's some more information. Otherwise, your session would never. Otherwise, your session would never really get going. But I'm only talking like the occasional instance. This isn't like every week. And now your regulars are just like, all right, Mike and Matt, they're a bit loose in their details, but it always works out. Well, let's just go with it. So that's how our first session went. And we've basically not looked back since. I love that. That's absolutely fantastic. Isaac, what, what got you involved? What drew you to, to rugby? Had you done it before or you just saw it and thought you'd give it a go? Uh, where um, we, um, I was in a meeting uh, since I'm the, the leader of the local sports club and uh, I, I saw that uh, the national championship in snow rugby was going to be at the local ski resort there. Um, so that's why I sent an email on a Tuesday and on Sunday I went to my first practice in Sogdal with Matthew and Mike. So things really escalated fast. can i just can i just jump in there because matthew uh isaac's not giving that story justice (laughs) i saw the full i saw the full email thread yeah and it was um isaac had basically messaged uh, the norwegian rugby federation saying hi we're the local uh club i'm the leader um i see that the the national championship of snow rugby is going to be in my hometown and we would really like to be part of it obviously i'm translating it loosely because my norwegian is not that great but and then she said, oh, oh, brilliant. Mike is just over the mountain from you. So give him a shout. Um, I said, yeah, pop over. We'll, we'll go to training next Sunday. So he comes over the mountain, which is about like an hour to where I am. And then sat with me in the car to drive an hour to Sogendal. So we're going. And I said, oh, so he's like, have you, um, you know, what brought you to rugby? He's like, oh, nothing really. I just heard about it and I thought, yeah, we could join that. Why not? I was like, so you, have you ever watched rugby? No. Have you ever tried any rugby? He's like, no, not really. Have you ever even touched a rugby ball? No. Uh, I was like, right, okay. okay. And got to like the first session. Like, okay, he's like, so now you're going to get tackled. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah. So bring in one of our other players who'd been to like two sessions and got the manhandling each other. And we turned, turned around to come back from training. He's like, I was quite nervous. He's like, how, how was that? He's like, yeah, I think, uh, I think this is something that we can do. Okay, and that was it. Really, went went all from there. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think you've undersold that as well. I can't stop laughing about that email, Mike, that you mentioned because I saw it as well. It's basically Isaac said, "Hello, I'd like to start a rugby club, please." And I'm thinking, are you crazy? Like, have you got any idea? Like, 
basically how painful this game is. <laughs> just like, hello, I'd like to enter the national championships if that's okay. And I just think that's beautiful. I think that kind of, I think that just summarizes how we've been doing things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was really the, that that we could play on snow because where I live, we have snow from November till May. So it was a team sport we can do in the winter time, and we needed that. We don't have fancy indoor facilities like Sognal have, so we have to be outside. So it's better than football in snow. That's fantastic. I, I love mm. that. Just that can do. Let's get it done. I, that's that's maybe been yeah missing in some places for a while. But what a what a great story. Just to, to give me give me a rundown when the, for the snow championships when you're outside, to, like how much snow is there? What are the temperatures? Again, just to give the guys that are listening um, a, a bit of a general overview. Obviously, they probably got a stereotypical view, but actually how how cold and how how hard is that as a session in the snow? I'd say our, our coldest session was probably around minus, it wasn't quite minus 10, maybe like minus six or seven, but you could only really, because where, where we were in Songdal, we once the, once the money ran out for the indoor facilities, we, <laughs> we also went outside. Um, but the space where we were training, they weren't allowed to rent that out in the winter. So for some reason, they weren't allowed to turn the lights on. And um, I'm sure you're aware that in Norway, the light can be a bit limited. In, uh, in the winter. So we were literally tracking sunrise and sunset. Okay, when's the best window where we have light and people are available to do training? And um, I, I very vividly remember one day, like I, I turned up and I was like, oh, maybe I should bring gloves. In my, my English rugby playing head, I was like, no, only soft people wear gloves to training. I'm not going to do that. Now, I have a prop, props don't wear gloves. Um, and my father-in-law like forced me to take some gloves. I was like, all right, okay, whatever. Um, we got there about, <laughs> Half the players had gloves, half didn't. And by 20 minutes into the session, we were having to like have a glove buddy. So you put your gloves on for five minutes, warm them up and then give the gloves to somebody else. They can start feeling their fingers again. <laughs> it was it was quite, quite cold. And you, you don't realise quite how wet you get when you're rolling around in the snow all the time. Mm. It, it's, it's brilliant for learning contact. It's absolutely fantastic for slowing the game down because you can't run as fast on snow. If you get absolutely ended and put in a, if someone puts a massive dump tackle on you, it, it's soft and quite nice. Um, but you get so wet. And by the end of the session, it's like, oh, wait, where, where did I put my feet? I, I can't feel them anymore. <laughs> we have had a couple of sessions, though, where it was basically ice we were playing on, <laughs> which wasn't the best. So I guess, I don't know who's maybe listening to this who might be thinking about doing snow rugby, but. Uh, I guess you could maybe sometimes consider prepping the ground a bit. Because um, like Mike said, most of the time it's nice, just soft, cold, wet stuff. But there's a couple of times I was like, bloody hell, we're basically playing on ice here. Uh, if it's like not, if it's old snow that's just sat here in minus 10, you can imagine what that's like. So you warm up, he's just like running around in a square just to flatten and soften the, the area. I remember... Isaac did an amazing job. He got like, uh, he had, we had like a training day and we got several clubs coming. So driving like quite a few hours, like from Bergen to the, to Merkdal and where the ski resort is. And uh, first thing we did was like, oh, we best flatten this ground. And we all just like went on a walk. It's like, you know, like those old, like, 
I don't know if I ever still do it. You know, when police are searching for evidence and they just walk as a line, we just do them out up and down for like the first hour. So the snow was soft enough to play on because it was up to your knees. So that's something to be um, aware of. I, I just love the overcoming adversity. I'm genuinely just thinking of, and, it, and it, it is different, I guess, if there's snow on the ground, as you said, like you can do something with it, but the, the general level of panic over here when the ground's a bit, a bit frozen, do you know what I mean? Like it might be down to like minus one or two and there's top, top inch of soils a bit hard and everyone's going, no, 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 can't, oh, it's too, too cold, can't, ground's frozen, can't do it. And there's you guys like just, just cracking on and getting, getting shit done, which is, um, which is pretty awesome. So, yeah. Well, I guess if it was just frozen ground, that would be quite difficult to do outside. So thankfully we've got snow. So I can understand health and safety mad people back home panicking, which I guess for me is why I'm, again, I love just talking about Isak stuff because he's got his TikTok channel where he's posted training and I didn't realize what they were doing until I saw it, but he, he, he had his little gang and they went to like, a, I guess the equivalent of a junior school, you know, like a, a tiny gym hall for a junior school. And he's got this video and they've got like those big fat gymnastics mats and we're just running full smash into it and offloading from that. So like, you know, obviously, because you can't play in the snow at night because there's no light. So you had to do something else. And what he was doing was just amazing. It's inspired me. And I want to do that this winter, just have contact specific sessions indoor because you can't really do anything in the in the winter evenings. That's not indoor and costing you a lot of money. Yeah, we've been very creative, I think, and discovering the game together. And yeah, just try out everything. I think we've had like 10 different locations for practice just to try out where is the best field, try different farmland. And, uh, we got a neighbor now with, um, uh, how do you say it? A piston bully or tucky machine? The, say Norwegian again. Tucky machine? Tucky machine, like to uh, tear up the snow. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, one of the yeah, big yeah. tractors you run in a ski yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like a piece of yeah, 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 so we got it settled for, for the winter now, hopefully. So we should have great conditions. That's nice. That, that. Just need the snow. <laughs> Obviously, just remember, so you've now got a groundsman that's going to look after the farmer's field with snow on it, with basically like a piece machine that creates really nice snow for the ski resorts. That's, that's class. I absolutely love yes. that. Yeah. There we go. That's a completely different world. So just talk to me. So you've said 10, 10 different training locations. Is training always on? Like, is that one of your principles? You, you are always doing something so everybody just knows to come? Like, or do you have to cancel sometimes? Like, how, how have you just built that momentum to ensure when people are driving for two, two and a half hours, however long they're traveling for? Like, how do you communicate that? Is is it we're just doing something? It doesn't matter what. Like talk talk me through kind of the general principles of of how you've ensured people have stayed involved and and continue to develop. Well, for the since we had a, a national championship coming up uh, just four months after we started playing, we had not much time to to prepare. So so that was a big uh, how do you say a carrot. <laughs> For everyone involved, they were very motivated. So we we tried to practice two times a week, and 
sometimes we were a bit flex flexible with the we looked at the weather forecast to see when it was possible uh, so we didn't did not really have to cancel much uh, one or two times when it was really awful weather rain is the hardest thing i would say it's raining and windy and the so the snow just gets soft and you yeah you get stuck in it so. I think it's important, though. Oh, sorry, Mike. I was going to say a good example of how just we had to just be a little bit flexible was that brilliant day we already mentioned up in Merkdal that Isaac arranged with the other clubs. And, you know, we'd planned it for the Saturday um, for a couple of weeks, like previously, and we'd be speaking to all the different clubs, like, yeah, we're going to go for the Saturday, go for the Saturday. And then absolutely apocalyptic weather came through from Friday night until Saturday evening. And, you know, all the weather forecasts, like, yeah, roads are shut. It was actually physically impossible for, well, I, I wasn't able to leave the village where I am because all roads out of my village were closed. So I couldn't, I couldn't have gone to Sogendal, let alone over the mountain to, to Isak. So we just said, right, delay it by a day. And in Norway, everyone's kind of used to that. So, oh yeah, okay, it's all now tomorrow instead of today type thing. So you do have to be flexible. Everyone's kind of used to that because you kind of have to be in this country. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like if you look at, like, schools and stuff, in back home in England, if it's raining, everyone's like, right, inside, where you just can't do that, especially, like, the city of Bergen. If it, if you didn't do anything for rain, you wouldn't go out because it rains, like, 300 days a year or something. So, like Mike always says, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing choices. And that's kind of a case here as well. You can still do stuff in minus 10 as long as you've got the right gear on. But... What I wanted to say in terms of what Isak's doing with Eldar, I think it's a lot different to me and Sogendal and Mike and Veek in some cases because Mike's running like a separate group in Veek, his village, which is almost like a, a, a group that train there, but they're essentially part of our club in Sogendal. But Eldar's not really a, a town per se compared to Sogendal and Veek. It's like an area, isn't it? So his players... They all come from all sorts of places. Most of my lot come from the town or just surrounding villages, 10, 15-minute drive. Some of his gang are driving like 45 minutes, 50 minutes to training. They drive that far to the closest shop. So I think it's it's amazing what he's doing, gathering people in such a, a massive area. And as I wrote in the Twitter thread, it's it's if you've not been to Norway... Oh, if you've been to Norway, you've maybe been to Oslo. And the rest of the country is just so different. Like where I live, Sogendal is considered like an urban area. It's tiny. It's like, uh, I'm trying to think of a town in England that we might all know. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of a town you would know, Phil. Like, uh, what's it called? Kidderminster. It's like a third of the size of that. Right, maybe oh, even smaller. Yeah. It's like a major town in this country, and yeah, it was like I was looking up the stats when I was writing the Twitter thread. It's like eight people per squared kilometer here. It's insane, um, and yet I'm in a built-up area, so it's not too bad for me to get players regularly. But Isak's covering like this massive, like part of a of a of a county where everyone's spread out. So I I just can't like big him up enough in terms of how he's able to get people training regularly in pretty poor conditions and driving miles away to do it. Kudos to Isak, as per usual. <laughs> what 
just talk me through the, I guess, like the demographic demographic of all of your players. The what, what do you think has drawn them to rugby? Um, I know you mentioned a couple of bits of this in the thread, but I'd be keen to just understand: is it they just wanted to try a new sport? Is it because you guys are just doing stuff all the time and other sports don't run all the time? Like, why do you think you've got so much traction so quickly in all the different areas? Uh, well. I think we've got different things going on in terms of our two clubs. So Sogendal's a bit of a bigger population. I think there's maybe like 6,000 here. Um, and there's a lot of, there's always going to be foreign people in a town that size in Norway. And naturally there's always going to be some, some Commonwealth there. So like, um obviously i'm english there's a couple of english people that come training there's a guy from new zealand um and we get a lot of people from different countries not necessarily played rugby before not from rugby countries but i think it's a bit different to like my office literally overlooks like the professional football club's pitch and this is like a football village right so their team used to be in the equivalent of Premier League in Norway. So it's a it's a big club for the size of a village, size of a town. But it's hardcore football, but it's very competitive. So if you're not in that environment, there's not really anything else for you. And like it's a bit weird. I actually think like Norway gets this praise for being a, having this really good sports model. Well, I'm I'm a bit critical of it. I don't think. I don't think there's much sport for you if you're not super competitive. And I understand you kind of have to be because of the travel. You have to be quite dedicated because you can drive like two hours for a local derby. But there's nothing like semi-recreational. There's no such thing as like like Scunthorpe. You just have six men's teams, right? You can obviously be fairly casual in the six and fifth team, no disrespect to that. But there's nothing like that here. You either take it really seriously or you just go jogging or to the gym and there's no alternative and one of my colleagues said to me the other day what reason why rugby is probably doing so well is there's basically nothing else for a man over 35 or a woman over 35 there's just no kind of semi-competitive stuff going on and that's maybe what attracts people to it there's no there's no community i don't think like it in sogendal where we don't care how good you are we don't care what your experience are just be a decent person and turn up and if you don't turn up we won't get offended we're here and so like we've got people who turn up with the kids and they come and play and that's become a foundation of our small youth setup Oh, we've got people, I think about Jan, he's a Hungarian dude, comes with his two small kids sometimes, and he, he gets them to just sit at the side so he can play a bit, and then they just keep running on the pitch, and you think, Jesus. And you could go two ways, right? You could go, right, this is quite frustrating. Or I'd just go, right, if I've got an assistant, I've got Eno, one of the girls who coaches, she can take over. I'll happily go and play with these two kids. If it means this guy, who's probably got nothing else other than work going on in an area that he's new to. If it means he can play for an hour and forget about that, I'll happily just go run about in the sand with two like five-year-olds who don't like me, but whatever. So I just think you've got to have an open mind. And I think people have been responsive to that like me and mike talk about this all the time people are really loving what we do and we kind of go people love this but we don't feel like we're doing anything we don't feel we're doing anything different that would be going on back home if you see what i mean that's no like knock on norwegians uh, i just think 
it's just a little bit different. Everything is positive. Nothing is serious. Everything is game based. We and we just make sure that if you're doing something well, we tell you. And I remember a guy, one of our players when we was at the snow rugby, he said like, oh, I just thought he was just like this weird English positive guy blowing smoke up our asses for the sake of it. He's like, but you mean it, don't you? I was like, of course. Why would I not? And like, obviously you've played Scunthorpe. If I don't know if you know the head coach, Tim Robinson. I, like my inspiration. Great, great guy. It, yeah. Yeah, I, and he's, yeah. I can see where you've got that from if you've spent time with Tim. Well, he's a bit of a hero of mine because I just, he has this phrase, I tell you all the time, you do something well. It'd be like, I just remember him shouting to one of the lads, Tina, that was so good. I can't wait to go home and have dinner and talk about that all night. And I just, I've stolen that phrase. Every time someone does something, I was like, I'm going to tell Arena about this. Or like this Constantine look, because I can't wait to tell your dad what you've done. And he just looks like, wow. And it's all from Tim Robinson. But like, what I'm trying to say is, I just think maybe that praise is a bit novelty for some people. And I think it, it makes them come back. I love that. That is, no. Uh, and, you, and you're dead right. And I don't know why we get obsessed with coaching as being a, a critical thing. Do you know what I mean? It's it's always, oh, what can you do better? What can you do better? And I that may have changed more over here in the last few years but I still feel like that if, if you ask most people what a coach's job is I think they'd be like to tell you what you're doing wrong whereas I, I think that's a really nice twist on yeah let's, let's just big some people up you are listening to a rugby coach weekly podcast if you want to find out more about this podcast and all the other great benefits you can get from being a member of rugby coach weekly why not visit rugbycoachweekly.net to find out more. That's rugbycoachweekly.net to find out more about how to become a member and receive a load of free stuff. Now, back to the podcast. Mike, how, how do you find that in, in your environment, in kind of the stuff you, you're doing, similar similar type of approach, like similar type of people? Well, so initially I was only going into Songdal uh, with Matthew because I mean, my my village is the the centre of a municipality that's only got about two and a half thousand people in it, um, <clears throat> and again, where I am is totally football mad. So all the blokes where I am play football or don't do anything. Um, and there used to be a bit more ladies' sport, but that's all just completely died off. So I kind of resigned to just go be with Matthew for a bit, and then I was at, the reason I started in the village was I was contacted by. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the translation is, but uh, essentially where we are, we get a lot of refugees. And um, if refugee children come in with no parents, they get like this foster family, but it's like, um, it's not like a formal foster family. It's like people that come in and stay with the kids and, you know, they, they're on shift work and whatever. But one of these workers contacted me saying, hi, one of our guys would really like to come start rugby. And in my head, I was like, oh, they're not going to be able to drive all the way to Sogendal. So, okay. I've been thinking about when I should start trying to do something in Zeke. So I'll, I'll try that now. And I said to him, this is on a Sunday. I said, yeah, brilliant. Um, I'll add him into the Spond group. And Spond is the app we use to, uh, to advertise training and get numbers. I said, I'll add him into the Spond group and we'll start training in Zeke on Tuesday. And then the next thing I know, I'll come home from work and Matthew's uploaded a picture and this lad's driven to an hour and 20 minutes to Sogendal to go train on the Monday night. I was, all right, brilliant. This, this kid's dead keen. Um, and so, you know, where I am, we've, we pretty much get the guys that 
aren't part of the football group initially. And then a couple of guys who have been playing football for like their whole lives and just love all the sports. Like I think the first session I did in Vig, a couple of guys came up from Sogendal. So you know, they drove a few hours just because they're now mad for it. We had one guy who's the, the goalkeeper for the local football team, a guy called Steve Groy, like a bit of a local legend. You know, he's in his 40s and just has done every single sport under the sun. I just came along to do something different. We got this guy, Jamil, uh, the Afghan refugee, come along. A few other people that have tried it a little bit before and just played, like Matthew said, four on four touch. Um, and it was much, much slower in Vic to get started. But uh, over the summer, we had um, a sand rugby tournament in the village. And since then, it's kind of exploded a bit. We've got like a, this real mix of people that have just been completely cast off by other sports because, you know, maybe they're not that athletic or not that coordinated. Then they come along to rugby and we're actually quite patient um, and say, oh, and, you know, like Matthew said, we give praise where praise is due. And, you know, like you said, it's always good to be a bit critical sometimes as a coach and give people points to work on. But, you know, at the same time, so you give them critical uh, feedback when they're ready for that. And we give them the praise when they're just, you know, building themselves up. So you know, they'll, they'll put in a pass. Like, that was a beautiful pass. It went to hands. It was very forward, but you got it to their hands and you got it away in the time frame that I wanted you to do it. And so we end up with a real mix in my village of, um, you know, younger, younger girls that have come into it due to my family connection. They've just been dragged along by my sister-in-law um, and my, my missus. And so they've all, we've got younger girls that have been dragged in, a lot of older blokes that haven't played other sports, a lot of older blokes that are just looking for something other than football to, to play and just be involved with. Um, and it's kind of growing up quite nicely. So all three of these groups have got a very different character where all of my guys travel maximum 10 minutes to get to training. Isaks travel like 45 minutes. Um, but you know, both those two groups are very Norwegian. Then Matthew's got this very eclectic international group in Songendal. And it's, it's all very cool and different. And each, each training group has a very different feel about it, which I really like. Fantastic. And just out of interest, how, how do you manage the interaction between, um, you know, young females, older males, like all playing the same kind of touch game? Like, do you, do you just differentiate some of the rules? Is it the same rules for everybody? Like, how would the session look just so people aren't getting carried away? Because, uh, again, I'd, I'd be thinking of some committee chairman that I know over here and, you know, they'd probably have absolute kittens that you're playing mixed touch and, you know, all of these things can go wrong and stuff. And I think there's great examples of, of where people do this really well, but I'm, I'm just keen in to understand more about what that looks like for you guys. I'd, I'll jump in there because we had a, we did a touch session in, in my village in Vic on the sand in preparation for the sand rugby. And, um, you know, we had the girls there. We had, you know, maybe six girls, six blokes. Um, and I said, okay, well, let's play touch. And then one of the girls said, oh, can we start doing contact? This was Ina, one of the girls who's been with us from the beginning. And I was like, oh, a bit, a bit unsure about that. So I said, okay, guys, who's, is everyone keen for contact? All the girls are like, yeah, we're keen. And all the blokes are like, yeah, okay, I guess so. Um, <laughs> and we just say like, right, it's, it's grab and hold. If you put in a big, big hit, fine. But as soon as I call tackle, that is a tackle, right? No questions asked. I don't care if you're halfway through a boom. Like if I say tackle, you stop immediately. Um, and you know, so and I, I said to the guys like, you know, if you are a big lad, if you run at someone who is small, I'm obviously going to call tackle much earlier. 
if you want to work on your skills to get through the tackle and get through the contact, run at a man. Um, so it, it actually really develops their sense of picking who to run at, which in a game, you know, I'm, I'm as, a, as a player going to look at, okay, who can I make a better impact on if I run at them? And then if you're doing that actively, more actively in training all the time, I think it develops that. But uh, I remember I was, I was a bit nervous about having full contact men and women. Um, and then my brother-in-law was running in space and he got absolutely upended by one of our female players, Jennifer. She literally picked <laughs> him up and threw him off the pitch. And he's like a six foot four ex-professional decathlete. And Jennifer is um, one of Matthew's students. She's a powerlifter. She just absolutely ruined him off the pitch. I was like, okay, I, I don't need to worry about this. So as long as everyone is kind of comfortable, I, I just love it. But, you know, you do occasionally get, you know, someone running full tilt at a kid. And you have to remind them, you know, look, if you want to run full tilt at someone, run full tilt at me. Don't do it at a 12-year-old. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, done. So yeah. very few issues. But I, you do end up with that. Like I said, with that rule thing, when I shout tackle, that is the tackle done. So many times I've come back to training from training and my voice is just completely ruined because I've been having to modulate, you know, who's running at who and calling tackles all the time. I just, yeah, I guess it could easily be a disaster. But um, like Mike says, or Mike was alluding to, as long as you're assertive, I think we're fine with it. There's been a couple of times where people, some some people have become more keen than others. And you just say, right, do that again. You run at me. And when you're the only guys actually played rugby, it's like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll chill out. I'll chill out then. Um, I don't know if that's the most appropriate coaching uh, method, but it seems to work. But yeah, I just think like, just you make sure that you agree with everyone before you start. And there's an alternative if you don't want to do that. Or we modify. Um, and like, again, most of the stuff we've been playing and preparing for is almost like, rather than full contact, it's almost like touch hold with the snow rugby and the sand rugby. Um, like there's no, there's no rook, there's no mauled, there's no set pieces, basically. So it, it's pretty much like a, a, a touch hold game anyway. So you can kind of get away with it. But yeah, it's just about keeping on top of things. I feel like, I feel like if we started going, oh, there's too many kids, we'll have to stop, or there's not enough adults, we'll just not bother. You just never get anything done. You just wouldn't. You just, by default, have to mix it up. Otherwise, you just wouldn't really have a club, or at least I wouldn't in Sogendal. Or maybe I would, but you wouldn't be able to get anything going. And like, it's just about dialogue with parents. It's dialogue with the kids, dialogue with the girls, dialogue with the men. And it's we have a, like a community now where people understand it. So it's just taking it from there. Um, you know, we've got a couple of dudes who just come for a bit of fitness and we don't really have contact during those sessions or we modify it. Um, but no one's been injured in the, I guess, nearly a year that we've been doing it. So, yeah, we just manage it. You know, sometimes you do say to someone, hey, look, we're playing touch. That doesn't, re that doesn't mean slapping somebody to make the touch. Like, chill out. And um, people are responsive to it. Um, I don't know how we've done, but I don't know if that's luck or whatever, or just the nature of the people over here. But everyone's like, all right, yeah, understood. And it never happens again. So we don't see it as a problem. And like, I ju I'm just, I love it because the girls don't care. 
Um, and in Tron time, a, a city up north, I saw that they had like an internal game because it didn't have, it wasn't able to run a sevens tournament for students. So we just had an internal game. <laughs> I saw the pictures. He's doing line out and scrummaging, mixed bloody sex. And I messaged the guy's like, did that go okay? He's like, yeah, we just took it steady. I'm like, right, fine. Because obviously as an English guy, I nearly fell off my chair looking at that. But um, parents are a bit, maybe a bit easier going over here. I guess just by the nature of the smaller population, less stuff just happens as frequently in terms of injuries and, and serious incidents. So maybe they're a bit naive, I don't know. But um, I think it's all about building trust in the community. Like when ESAC come, obviously, we basically played touch for the first few months. And then we was like trying to get people interested. We're like, right, are people interested in touch? Uh, sorry, contact. Yeah. You just start simple, don't you? You just do like, 3v3, very small area, so no one can attach a, a, attack it at a run-up uh, and just take it through and You just moderate the contact where appropriate. But, I mean, we did start quite early doors with contact, but that was very much, you know, Matthew would run the main group, and then I'd say, right, can I have all the 15 to 13-year-olds, please? Bring them in, get out a crash mat and say, and just go through the real basics of this is how you put someone on the bump, this is how you fall. So we, we did cover it in very, very small, broken down groups. But like Matthew says, it was a couple of months before we had any sort of contact in a game scenario. But we did do a lot of very slow, um, like pairing people up based on size. And like, for a long time, we only had one 13-year-old. Um, and so I was like, okay, how can, we, how can we get good tackling for him? And so it was all right, Matthew, he's going he's gonna to hit you because you're the one that's played before. You're the one that's going to understand how to you know, modulate your power and on him. And then we just let Matthew get get knocked over by this kid instead of putting someone else in who might try and resist it. So there's always there's always barriers, but you just find a way around them. It's just uh it's opportunities, not problems. And the 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 whole point of you know say, oh is it is it weird being mixed sex? But because it's always been that way, people don't know any different with us. We've never had to say, okay, now we're doing mixed sex contact. We always built it up from being mixed and so it's just a natural progression that's a that's a really interesting point did, did Matthew just annoy you on the week you just told him he's going to be a, a tackle dummy was that was that he just he pissed you off a little bit and so you can just go get get tackled constantly by by a kid for half an hour <laughs> I just volunteer yeah. and they just think it's they think it's they all think I'm a bit bonkers because, like, I let I, come on, smash me, man. just put me on my ass. I'm like, yes. And they're like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, because that's a good tackle. I'm like, come on. And they obviously just think, what a nutter. But I guess that's probably been the hardest thing, actually, getting them to want to just, I'm like, you go through the pad, you go through me. Come on, smash me. I'm like, what? What? And initially it's like gentle. And then, it's very rare I have to say, hey, steady. I'm just like, come on, more, more, more. And then, like, me and Mike did a session one Saturday morning. And bear in mind, there's mountains uh, all around this area. And we was doing, like, clearing out of a rook. I think it was maybe even starting the basis of a mall. I was like, come on, drive, 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 push, push. Yes, yes, yes. And you could hear it echoing in the mountains. And, like, you could see the football team turn around like, what is going on? And I remember looking at Mike thinking, oh, yeah, I guess that's not really normal over here, is it? But then the, the more they give and the more they smash, the more they love it. You can see people 
they make a hit. And then I was like, I want you to hit me harder. And they're like, what? I, was like, I want you to hate me in that split second. And I go, okay, they look a bit unsure. Then they smash you again. It's like, yes, good, more. And then by the end, they absolutely leather you. And you're like, that was brilliant. They get up with this ginormous smile on their face because you're just not allowed to end people in any Norwegian sport. Isaac, yeah, but I also think right. the cool. Sorry. Oh no, I was just going to say Isaac sat there smiling very broadly now. So just, just talk talk us through your you know experience of that as a new player having never played. Like, how did was it was the contact one of the things you really wanted to get involved with, or is that just a bonus that you get to smash some people every now and again? What like how does how does that look for you? The contact aspect. Yes. Um, well, we had to get into it because we had a champ national championship coming up, so we had to learn it quickly. Um, we we like the aspect of the of the contact for sure. It's uh, it's it's more fun, but you have to be a bit careful, of course. Uh, we we got an English player who was part of our football team, so he had played some rugby before, James, and uh, he learned or something and. We've also got a French guy involved who played uh, in rugby in Guadeloupe 15 years ago. He's 54 years old. <laughs> so he's been learning us some. So, um, yeah, yeah, we, we prefer playing with contact, but uh, we have to, to limit ourselves a bit because we can be very... Sometimes we play for too long and we start seeing things, things are sliding out. <laughs> But we usually put some contact in every session, actually. But as Mike said, we um, we try to think before we tackle and and see who we are tackling. That it's some someone the same size or more or less. But also the girls are involved in that, and yeah, they're just as tough as the boys, to be honest. I think one of the, I think one of the key differences is between like Eldar and, and Sogendal, well, particularly Sogendal is obviously we kind of imported some rugby experience over there with me and Mike and, and, and Isak mentioned James, who's really I guess he was a footballer, I think he came over to be a kayak instructor, right, so it's not like he's been rugby through and through where Mike lives and breathes it um, I think that's different, I, I obviously tell Isak this all the time but he's basically just brought together this bunch of random blokes in the villages in the middle of nowhere to play full contact smash with zero experience of it before uh, I just think it's fascinating like I said we're a bit different because I guess we've also imported some people from different sports as well but a lot of the guys Isak's talked about I know most of them are football but he's got a few in there that have just not been engaged in sport whatsoever and I talked to him at the national champs. Like, oh, we love it. Like, this needs to continue. What's the next plan? We can't just stop now. Rugby, like, is means a lot to me. And these are like fellas who are like carpenters in in the mountains who've never really done stuff. And like, it's, you can just see the difference it makes to to their life. Really, I I think what Isaac's doing is fascinating. I, I just you have to come over to appreciate the ridiculousness of what he's been able to do because all the other rugby clubs in the country are outside of Oslo or in the other major cities, Trondheim, Bergen, up north like Tromsø, they used to have a club, but nothing like 
in the area that we're from to have a to have a rugby team it's it's in it's insane and what he's doing in that in that mountain is just unbelievable and I just want to add he did say to me oh I've got this French guy he won like uh and he's won a national championship before and I'm thinking well like top 14 and uh I'm thinking bloody hell where's this guy come from Anyway, after a few weeks, turns out, oh no, I won the national championships in Guadeloupe. I was like, oh, all right, it's a little bit different to winning national championships in France. But Pierre's an absolute legend. Amazing. Uh, um, what's next? Like, how how do you keep it going? How do you grow it? How do, like, at some point, are you thinking you'll have enough numbers to create? You talked about like a little mini and junior section. Like, how, how does this look? Is it. Is the magic in just keeping everybody together all the time? Or, or at some point, do you think you'll have traction and enough numbers to start to kind of separate things out? Or would, would that lose something? Like, a, yeah, really interested in where does it go from here? Um, I think the magic is keeping up the energy. Because there's been sometimes me and Mike have been messaging each other thinking, oh, this isn't happening. This isn't working as we thought. But like, you know, there has been sessions where there's been like three kids turning up or three people and you think, oh, bloody hell, the novelty's worn off. But you just got to keep up the energy. Like like Mike organised a sand rugby festival in his village and people came from like Oslo. They came and they camped. They drove for like six, seven hours and it was raining. It was terrible weather. And they came. And like that's through his network, through his energy. I remember at the Snow Rugby Championships, walking around, I'm just seeing strangers keep saying, Oh, Mike Pride. I'm like, what? Who's it? I don't know who that woman is, but I mean I'm mentioning my my partner's partner's name. So I just think you've got to have, I use this word all the time, agency. And if you do keep being positive, it will happen. You know, ESAC as well, we have a little chat group, we speak like five thousand times a day. Um, and sometimes it's like, oh, you know, numbers aren't been great, but you could easily give up. But you know, you've just got to make it happen yourself. And like, what we're trying to focus on is trying to develop. There's a few things we're trying to develop. We're trying to get like kind of five v five a bit more widespread, whether that's on sand, snow, or even grass. So at the moment, I've been trying to get. I've been trying to encourage some people in Bergen to introduce it at like a, it's like a student games, which is happening in October, trying to get 5v5. Because that's the way forward, I think. Because it also means clubs can split into two teams, can't it? And I've talked about this at work a lot. I think it's a way forward for a lot of sport in Norway because the travel is just insane. Like 11 aside football clubs are struggling as well. Like Isak's involved in a football team and some of their home fixtures get called off because people won't want to travel. Whereas if you if you develop these tournament days, you can gather people, they can play against multiple teams, they can even field one or two teams, can't they? Um so in terms of the future, it's developing five E five tournaments. So the sand rugby becomes an annual festival and that gets bigger. We're going to develop our own snow rugby tournament. So it's not a championships. It's more like just a, you know, like not Bournemouth sevens, obviously, but like a, a tournament that's just uh, hosted by us. Um, we're going to have a, a women's sevens team for the first time at the end of this month, which is a combination of our teams. It's people from Veek, people from Sogendal, people from Eldar. So it's a combined team. We collaborate a lot with Bergen Rugby Club 
where we send players to play for them. Like me and Mike will be playing for them in a couple of weeks. And some of our younger kids play for them as well. So that gives them an opportunity to play 15s. But the idea is that we develop like a regional team, which is a combination of all of our clubs. Um, because what we're trying to do is get several clubs in the area, these Edrets Lager, these sports clubs, to just register as a rugby club. And then we we have like an umbrella club. I can't, I guess it's like, you know, like three counties teams, maybe similar to something like that, but on a on a smaller scale. Because then it gives so say if someone's like I'm trying to think of a town like but like there's a town called like Ordal about an hour that way if there's only two of them but it gives them an opportunity to play something um so there's things in development we're constantly talking about right what's next what's next one of my plans is to get a team touring over here get get a bunch of people to tour norway um the good thing is isaac's like a driver he, he drives like essentially tour his tour guide we get him driving them and then we organize games. Maybe sometimes it is a 15s game. Sometimes it might be 5v5. Um, that's one of my kind of ambitions, to get a team to tour Norway, because I think that's probably the first time. Is that the first time it would happen? I'm not sure. Probably. Definitely around this area to get an English team touring. So there's loads of things going. And I guess the final thing is, is getting kids playing. Um only, only regular fixtures that's going to be difficult to do like for example i'm going to drive i'm going to drive to bergen and back in a day next week it's like four hours each way just to get four kids a bit of game time with some other kids but that's how you build it because as soon as they experience a bit of contact as 14 yards i'm never just gonna be like right i'm gonna go tell more of my mates at school because the only reason we've maybe got a handful of kids who can come to Bergen is because of this Jay, whose two boys came along and they've been with us since day one, a 12 and 10 year old. Well, he's now 14, no, no, 13 year old because Casper's 14 now and he keeps bringing more school friends who then bring a brother along or a sister and then it just goes from there. The main issue we have is the travel. It's hard to encourage people into a new sport when there's a lot of travel. I, lo I love this like yeah ticks ticks all my boxes definitely fuels my biases there's, there's an element of just listening to you there and, and all three of you talk for the last hour is it's a bit of a field of dreams type build it and they will come that that's the vibe i get with this right like you're just you're just determined to to sell the positives and just keep the momentum and and just keep introducing and as you say little and often and something will just yeah that that <laughs> without being a cliche that snowball will just get bigger and bigger and bigger which I, I guess is the idea and then then you're in a phenomenal place so um no I absolutely love it and I, I just yeah I echo that shout out in terms of anyone that wants to tour I guess you know I'll, I'll share your details via the um the blurb that goes out with the podcast and stuff and if anyone wants to wants to get in touch and and bring some Senior teams, I guess, junior teams, any anyone that would be keen to to get in touch and, and come across and experience this because it, it sounds pretty wonderful. And I have to say, I'm sat here going, like, when when can I book my flights and come over? So, um, yeah, it sounds incredible. Um, Isaac will come pick you up, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. love it. But in, in, in response to that, I was going to say, we do have some, we've got a couple of kids in our club in Sogendal 
their family's mad for it. Don't know anything about it, but they're absolutely mad for it. They'll drive Oliver and Ted anywhere. And in relation to that shout, I'd love to be able to get them to just to go training. Uh, even if it was like a level eight, nine or 50 club in England to train a few times a week and play a game or whatever. If anyone, any club's willing to host a couple of like Norwegian kids, like 16 and 15, or they'll be 17 and 15 soon. That'd be amazing. That's one of my ambitions to get them over there. Because like, they've just fallen in love with it. Well, Matt, we've lost you. Hello? Oh, you're back. You're back. I'm back. Yeah. So I just got to say, his family, um, Oliver and Ted and their parents, they're just mad for it. <laughs> like, his mum, Oliver's, so Oliver and Ted are cousins. Oliver's mum drives them everywhere. She'll do anything. She's the only reason we've got any money in the club because she, like, got, like, two grands worth of raffle prizes the other week. She was like, oh, I'm thinking about getting, uh, there's a World Cup, isn't there, next year? I was thinking about maybe trying to get tickets for a final for Oliver. I was like, yeah, good luck. She's like, what? I didn't realise you had to, like, enter, like, a ballot for it. I was like, yeah. She said, well, we'll keep trying. Um, but we're desperate to go to England to watch a game. I was thinking about going to one of these training camps like Bath. They're about 600 quid out there for the week. They'll just do anything. His dad's always messaging, oh, can you show me another example? One of those like one person sleds for a scrum machine. I'm thinking about building one. Um, if I can get them over to England, that'd be a dream come true for me. Because um, they've been here since day one. Ted's not been able to play a game yet because he's not old enough. Oliver started coming in December and he's minus 10 conditions. He's playing second row for Bergen whenever he can. He can run great lines. He's just picking up the game like that. He's doing his coaching course. He's done some of his like world rugby online stuff. Cool. Like it's just incredible. Um, yeah. If anyone's listening, if I want to host some Norwegians who are fluent in English, by the way, um, please, please get in touch. Cause that'd be amazing. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody that will, that will be reaching out. So um, yeah. Guys, I mean, is, is there any other like key points, any other top tips you'd give? I'm, I'm conscious of your time that you guys have, you know, got day jobs and need to go to work. So um, what what would like be your last last kind of little piece, I guess, just to, to round this off? What are, what are your final thoughts? Well, I could talk forever because my day job's easy. So if you've got another couple of hours, that's fine by me. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, I guess the right. a big thing that we've spoken about a lot is um, just being off the whole league versus union thing. Um, you know, it's all run forwards, pass backwards at the end of the day. Um, take any opportunities, think outside the box, don't get bogged down with rules, just, just do what you can, play, make it fun, and absolutely no conditioning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like... Um... Although there is a bit of a, a split in terms of govern governance, it's all it's it's kind of all one umbrella with rugby in Norway. There's none of this union league split. I know obviously there's loads of politics behind that, but the good thing about starting rugby in a country that doesn't have any kind of history of it is you, it doesn't matter about this bloody what's 15 side, what's 13 side. We're trying to develop five aside as a much more formal thing, so it doesn't matter. It's neither of those things. So yeah. Don't worry about that. Just get people playing. Um, just, just, and my main thing is just play. Don't worry about like, like real technical stuff. It's just so irrelevant for a lot of people. You can do that later. Like, I'm going to do a session tonight working on the rook. 
but it's only with people who are going to be playing in a couple of weeks' time. But um, games, games, games. And, like, don't care whether they're any good or not. Just let them play. Like, there's a guy, I'm not going to say who it is, there's a guy who just literally can't catch. Don't care. I want him here every week. I want him doing what he wants. I want him running. I want him turning up. I want him having his break from his probably mundane job. Um, And if he's getting fitter, great. But just, like, don't hold on to like your pre-existing ideas of what a good rugby player might be because they can offer something and they might be someone who's a key part of the community and they bring someone else who might happen to be good or they bring someone else who like will do anything for you they'll bring someone else who can do the raft ball or run the coffee stand or whatever people everybody's got something to offer so just be open-minded about it and don't get upset if the good and they don't turn up ever again because they might turn up six months later. You never know. Yeah, just try to include everyone because you never know what chain reaction you have started. <laughs> it's it's less than a year since I sent that email and now I'm on a podcast. So things happen fast and you, you never know who's going to, yeah, where it ends up. When you include someone who hasn't been included before too so i love that aspect of the, of the game that it's such a social social thing and you have respect for each other no matter what so i think it will be be growing a lot especially in our region but all in in norway there's a huge potential for rugby because we have just football as a team sport in many places and and rugby needs the same same fields and it's a cheap sport too and it includes people that that will not be included in football necessarily so can i just add to that because it's just made me think about something one kind of negative or potential negative is i guess if there's an english person or an american over here you can be seen as a bit too keen and norwegians are very polite and very reserved in a good way and I think sometimes, especially me, not so much Mike, maybe Mike, I'm not sure, but I, I think I can maybe put a bit, some people off in terms of like, I think I'm just like, just making sure I'm keeping that ball rolling, but they see it as like nagging or or even like an invasion of privacy where I'm like, you're coming to training. Whoa, man, like relax, get off my back. But um, I guess there's a balance to be found where, it's hard to explain to these people, though, because when it's a new sport, you need to be quite persistent. Otherwise, nothing happens. But then we've had a bit of blowback, like, with Spond. Me and Mike are just obsessed with rugby. And it's just like, right, let's get information out there. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do that. I think some people find it a bit overwhelming. Um, so maybe it's a culture specific to Norway rather than other countries where you're trying to start it. But... but there's maybe a balance to be found in terms of maybe not everyone's got the same energy as you when it comes to starting a new a new sport. And I don't know whether Isak's got any Norwegian specific points to add to that. Uh, like in the in the bigger cities in Norway, I think there might have been a problem that it's a separate community. Like you have to find a bridge between between the English or 
the people who have played rugby before and into the local community to get them involved. Uh, and we will not have enough English players or former rugby players here. So we have to do that to have a club. Uh, and you need to find the right person to, to create that bridge. Um, oh, guys. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think that key messages is you say, you know, connect with the community, find, I guess, like the gatekeepers, who are the people that, that bring more people, who are the people that bridge that gap. And as you say, temper, temper your enthusiasm slightly. Not everyone's going to love it as much as you do initially. But um, I guess little and often is probably the key there, isn't it, in terms of just just keeping that momentum. So ah, oh, just just what what a wonderful story. And like appreciate there's there's way more than just the three of you involved, but hats off to to all three of you for for your enthusiasm and commitment and energy and love for the game and everything else that goes goes with something like this because ju just you know just listening to you guys has enthused me and, and give me a ton of energy so um i'm sure everyone that you're working with on a you know weekly basis is is getting an absolute incredible amount from this and thank you for coming on to to share what is a a wonderful wonderful story and yeah just remind everyone if you know if people want to tour or if they can host then um then to get in touch and and definitely help you guys out because um uh, yeah and um, you know maybe in a year's time we'll we'll get you back we'll get an update we'll see where things are and uh yeah we'll, we'll definitely definitely stay in touch and uh support any in any way we can i think that's that's probably one of the things you guys have touched on around the community that there's an international community and a, a ton of stuff to to help and support individuals and and collectives and all that type of stuff if if people want to reach out it's a it's a pretty good space for that so um yeah guys thank you very much for for coming on i absolutely love this um i'm gonna round up the roundup so um we hope you enjoyed the episode thanks again to the guys for coming on and, and telling their story um i will link you into to all of them and to their clubs and everything else and that will go in the blurb on rugby coach weekly as always i'd like to thank you for listening wish you all the best and go well 